In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. This could be tricky, okay, if we did not have that. I'm going to try. It's not. Is it plugged in? And it's not just moving. This is not good because I've got like 100 slides today. We'll try one more time. Here we go. Nothing? Nice work, Matt. He unplugged it and replugged it in. Uh, we got a brand new sermon series I'm pretty excited about in the sense that these are not things that we always talk about as we talk about things that we struggle with as individuals. And these are things that most people don't verbalize as we talk about someone with depression. And there's a reason for that. Depression is really tricky, and, and mental health is really tricky because of a number of things. One, it's not totally physiological. If you have a physiological something you're struggling with, you have a physiological things that you're, um, you're hurt, it's pretty obvious, right? The, the cause is really obvious. They say, how did you break your arm? It's unlikely you're going to be like, I don't know, right? I just woke up one day and my arm was broken. This does not happen, right? This is not how it functions. Or you shouldn't say that. That's not a good story because they're going to assume that you had no idea what you were doing the night before. So that's, that's, not, that's not how it should go. Usually you're like, oh, I slipped on some ice and I broke my arm, right? So, then, so the cause is very clear, right? No one has doubts about the cause why they have a broken arm. And then the, the sympathy is very clear too. Like if you go to see someone, the, the reality of a broken arm, you can't really hide, right? You have a cast on and, and people feel sorry for you. And then you see it. The kids love this, that, you know, the pain of the, it goes away when all the girls are there signing their cast and saying like, I hope you get better soon, right? This is not that I've ever broken my arm before on purpose. And so I've broken both wrists. I've broken broke wrists and you got this cast. It's very obvious when someone says, hey, can you help me move my couch? You just have to go, I got a cast to carry in my car just so I can get out of things, right? So you have this cast. So the, the cause is really obvious. The, the reality of it is really obvious. You can show an x-ray if someone doesn't believe you. And then the sympathy is really obvious. And the cure, again, is super obvious. You put on a cast for six weeks, and you can usually function at about three, four weeks. You can pick things up, not couches, but you can pick things up, and then you get it off unless it's really complex, even compound or complex fractures. They can put those together and set those, and you're talking maybe eight weeks. So all that's very clear not clear when it gets to things when we're talking about mental illness or things that we struggle with, especially things like depression. So at any given time in the United States, two to four percent of the population is suffering depression. So if you just look around this room, that means like four or five people here are going to be suffering depression right now. And the way that they define depression means that's like a two-week period where you can't kind of explain, where you're just suffering with these kind of melancholy thoughts that you can't get over. What makes this even more complex as a pastor is you try and you talk about these things. It's not just a physiological thing. If you just believed like depression was caused by a physiological thing, as some people believe, they just say, well, there's a chemical imbalance in your brain. And they can do tests and they can figure things out and they can give you um, electrotherapy or they can give you a positive self-talk or they even get down to the physical thing where they just say, here is a drug that is an antidepressant that can be helpful. And for a lot of people, it's very, very helpful. We, God works through pastors. He works through your family. He works through doctors. You can see them and they can say, this could be good for you. And often, they find that they start to turn a corner in a matter of a week or two, if you didn't know that. But if it was just physiological, we have all these ad advances in our medical stuff. If it's just physiological, what's really interesting is even though prescriptions have doubled in the last 10 years, just as many people or more are saying they struggle with depression. 
and not just at any given time, but about 7% of the population at, at, in the world is going to suffer depression, especially in the United States, in a given year. So just think back in your year, and you could say, there's a reasonable chance you could look around that there are people you know that are struggling. And I'm guessing it's not too hard to pick out from the outside. I can tell you times in my life when I broke that wrist playing football, like, there was a time in my life where this was like a dark pit. I didn't want to do the things that I really wanted to do. And look back in time, I can go, oh, that's what was happening. But while you're spinning down this kind of thing, you're not going, huh, I wonder if I'm suffering from depression, right? And you start to spin down this. The same thing happened when Josephina died. That was our, uh, she was six months in the womb and she died. And Amy and I were kind of just numb for a number of months. And we couldn't even say, we didn't even know it at the time. We're not talking to each other going, you know what? I think we're suffering. No, we were just kind of numb for a number of months. And it wasn't until we got kind of out of that valley that we said, you know what? Do you remember how we felt back then, how numb we felt and kind of how empty we felt? So depression is a tricky thing because it just kind of sneaks up on you and you don't even always know why. Like, you know why you broke your arm, but you don't always know why someone suffers depression. It could be, and, and most often, it's something happens in your life. And ironically, oftentimes, it's something really good happens in your life, and you think, okay, I, I could never be happier in my life, and then it's just almost immediately after. So sometimes it's a spouse that has died. Sometimes a child has died. Sometimes you lose your job. Uh, sometimes just a situation you anticipated was going to be really, really good is not as good as you anticipated. So these are event-type things that happens. Some of you... Uh, when you have a baby. So we have a couple people in our congregation expecting, which is really exciting. Did you know like 10 to 14% of moms, new moms, suffer from postpartum depression? That is a huge number. That's a huge number. But how do you explain that to someone? Again, it's not like a broken arm. You just say, I don't feel like doing things today. I don't feel like loving my baby like I should today. And how do you explain that to someone who doesn't get it? It's really difficult. It's not like a cast that you can just show. Some of it, it's even the weather, where I, I, it's a sunny day today, and uh, in Washington, where I was for eight years, it's the exact opposite. There's 300 days of sun here in Colorado. Did you know that? You should just say a short prayer for that if you didn't know that. In, color, in, in Washington, 300 days of rain, Three, 300. So every day it's sunny, like today, just imagine the sky is gray. I've told you this story before, but when my kids were small, they were drawing a picture of the outside, and every kid knows, you know, like the blue sky and the green little hill, and you put like... And my daughter, it was, I think Isabella, grew a gray sky. I'm like, this sky's not gray. She's like, yeah, it is, Daddy. I look outside. You're like, open the door. No, no, never mind. The sky is actually gray. She got out her gray crayon, and that's what she thought the sky was. So, so like, all these kids' books weren't very helpful to her. Like, why is the sky gray, God? <laughs> so so th- this is what it was like. And there's all kinds of people who don't just have, like, these wake-up lights like we have here. That's what people have. If you have a timed wake-up light, you can do that with the Philips Hue bulbs and stuff like that. They had actual, they call them SAD, um, seasonal affective disorder. They wanted to make it sound sad. But you'd wear this light so you get full spectrum, and people had to do that. Otherwise, they would start to go into depressive thoughts, especially during the winter. They do that same thing in Alaska where they have, like, I think, uh, 13 months of, of clouds in, in Alaska and Juneau. So they, they, there's all these things that suffer. You have this, and then the, the hardest one, I think, is sometimes you're just wired this way, and it doesn't even matter what you do. Right? This is, you had a grandfather who suffered depression. Uh, you had a dad who suffered depression. There's a pretty good chance that you're going to have, be more prone, the skids are greased for you to suffer depressive thoughts than other people. Just like some of us are more addictive to uh, struggle with addiction, some of us are going to struggle with depression. So you put all this mixed together, and it gets really complicated. 
because how do you fix this? Like the arm is really obvious, and how do you fix this as a pastor? And so for a long, long time, it's not just a physiological thing, so as a, um, and it's not just a spiritual thing. Sometimes maybe you've run into that. As some of you, have, I would guess this would be the most likely scenario. Um, some of you have a baby, and then you're really struggling emotionally, and you're stirring some of these depressive thoughts, and someone says, you know what you got to do? You just got to go to church. You just got to pray more fervently. Uh, you got to just spend time in God's Word and listen to His promises, and you go, you know what? That's great, except what's wrong when you're depressed? You don't want to do anything. Like, you don't even want to get out of bed, and you don't want to function, and you don't want to go to your job. And you can read this. We're going to do that in our smaller groups where it's uh, Psalm 42 and 43. They're put together by the same, the same guy, but right in the middle of this, he's basically saying, remember when I used to go with praising to the house of the Lord? Now I just don't feel like it. So we could give you this huge long list of things like this is what you have to do, and I'll go through those. It's pretty amazing that these are all touched on in a story that we're going to look at in a second. But at the end of the day, some of those just don't help. And you'll see some of the people who are the most connected with God. If that was just the cure, you just need to be connected to God more. If that was, it was that simple, you would think that the inspired writers of the Bible would not suffer from depressive thoughts. So let me just give you a few examples of names you might recognize. You can guess who maybe wrote this. My guilt has overwhelmed me like a burden too heavy to bear. King David. King David again. Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? He, he doesn't even understand it, right? And this is what some of these thoughts, have you ever woken up one day and you're like, I don't know why I don't feel like doing anything today. I don't know why. I don't know why I'm so sad. Is this, this happened to you? It's not like every day you're high-fiving yourself. You're just like, I don't even get it. So God, put your hope in God, for I will set, uh, yet praise him, my Savior and my God. Uh, Jonah, now Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. That's pretty serious, I think. What happens if you just happen to run across your teen's notebook and it said this on it? That's kind of a big deal. Job. And everyone says Job, he has so much patience, the patience of Job, and this amazing story how he still trusted in God even though he had lousy friends who gave him terrible advice. I have no peace, no quietness, I have no rest, but only turmoil. Apparently he was raising toddlers. I don't know how that happened, but... But it gets more serious, right? Why did I not perish at birth and die as I came from the womb? What would you say if your dad, you're just going through your grandpa's journals, you're like, and he's telling you like how he loved fixing the car, and then you run across this. Your grandpa says, why did I not perish at birth and die as I came from the womb? Is there anyone here who would say, you know, I, I don't think my grandfather suffered from depressive thoughts. How many of you would just, with your eyes would open and you'd go, wow, he was struggling through a lot. Of, now, here's a longer one. Terrors overwhelm me, my dignity is driven away as by the wind, my safety vanishes like a cloud, and now my life ebbs away. Days of suffering grip me, night pierces my bones, my gnawing pains never rest. Cursed be the day I was born. May the day my mother bore me not be blessed. Cursed be the man not, who brought my father the news, who made him very glad, saying, A child is born to you, a son. May that man be like the towns the Lord overthrew without pity. May he hear wailing in the morning, a battle cry at noon, for he did not kill me in the womb. With my mother as my grave, her womb enlarged forever. Why did I ever come out of the womb? To see the trouble and sorrow and to the end of my days in shame. Jeremiah is known as the weeping prophet. 
right? This is, he wrote Lamentations, for crying out loud. I mean, he wrote a book called The Whining of Jeremiah. So this, this is what he wrote. But you can get a sense of his weight when he looks at it, like the world. The li- life is hard. And unfortunately, there's no quick fix. You're not going to leave today if you're struggling with depression and go, well, that nailed it. Tomorrow I feel like getting up, crossing out like I hope I never was born. You know, this is gone and changed my Instagram post. This, is, this doesn't just happen in a day. It's a complex thing. So we've got a couple examples here. David, Jonah, Job, Jeremiah, of course. And one which I think epitomizes all the advice you're ever going to get if you suffer from depressive thoughts is the story of Elijah. So Elijah is a fascinating story. What do you know about Elijah? You know that I tell one story every year about Elijah and Elisha, which is I went to school with a guy who didn't know the difference. So then when he would say it in class, this is first year religion in college, they say he was doing a report on Elijah. And you're like, what did you say? And that's what my teacher said. They're like, what? Elijah or Elisha? Elijah! And they're like, Elijah or Elisha? And he's like, Elijah! So, so no one ever figured out who he's doing a report on. But Elijah is most famous. He's not the bald one that, you know, that he sent the bears after him. This is, that's Elisha with an S. This is Elijah, and he's most famous for, of all things, that he had to deal with Ahab and Jezebel. The worst of worst king and queen in Israel, just total dirtbags. And, and ironically, they're really, uh, as a power of Israel, they brought it to one of the highest heights that it has. Like when you look at secular records under Ahab, the, it was very powerful. But he was the prophet had to go talk to him. And one of his biggest exchanges is you're going to, this is something you hear in Sunday school, is the, the big exchange on Mount Carmel. So that they have the prophets of Baal, there's 400 of them. And then there's uh, Elijah, and he's just Elijah by himself, right? And he's hanging out. And then they, they call down, we're going to have a contest. Let's set up the altars. They're like, I'm in. They set up the altars. The prophets of Baal, they're crying out to themselves. They're cutting themselves because they're trying to get their God to hear them and pour it. And then Elijah talks trash. We've talked about this before. He's like, what, is your, is your God busy going to the bathroom, essentially, is what he says. And, and then, so they get madder, and they're doing all this stuff. Nothing happens. And then, of course, he prays, and God sends down fire and obliterates the altar. And he thinks, now... That's a career day if you're a prophet, just for the know. Like, if, if you can just say, God, can you burn up this altar, and he does it, this is pretty ideal. So he obviously is pretty excited. He is so excited, he goes to the capital city, and he goes to talk to Jezebel. And his idea is, okay, there, one of two things is going to happen. Ahab and Jezebel are going to finally recognize the true God, or the people at least. I mean, at least the people are going to, like, rebel and get on my side. Uh, this is what happens next. This is the very next chapter. Now Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. So Jezebel sent him a messenger to Elijah with a confession. May the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like one of them. Elijah was afraid and he ran for his life. And when he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there while he himself went a day's journey. So he goes out to himself out in the wilderness. He goes to this broom tree and he sat down under it and he prayed that he might die. So this is like literally days before he had the greatest day of his whole entire career. Days after, he's like, God, I'm done. I'm, I'm, I'm just done. I had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down under the bush and fell asleep. At once an angel, we're going to go through this story twice, and I want to talk through two things with it. So, At once an angel touched him and said, get up and eat. 
He looked around, and there by his head was some bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and drank and then lay down again. The angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, Get up and eat, for the journey is too much for you. So he got up and he ate and he drank, strengthened by that food. He traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. There he went into a cave and spent the night. He replied, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant. That's the people he was speaking to. Torn down your altars and put the prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. The Lord said, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. After the fire came a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood in the mouth of the cave. Then a voice said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I'm the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. The Lord said to him, Go back the way you came and go to the desert of Damascus. When you get there, anoint Haziel, king over Aram. Also anoint Jehu, son of Nimshi, king over Israel. Anoint Elisha, son of Shephat, for, from Abel Meholah, to succeed you as prophet. Jehu will put to death any who escape the sword of Haziel, and Elisha will put to death any who escape the sword of Jehu. Yet, I reserve 7,000 in Israel all whose knees have not bowed down to Baal and whose mouths have not kissed him. So this is his story, and I think it covers every bit of advice that you're going to get. So if you just Google, what do you do when you're depressed, you're going to get the same advice. We're going to find it in this story, which I think is really unique as God works it, and then we're going to talk at the end, what's the big point here? Uh, we get all the way through, so he finds out that Jezebel is trying to kill him, right? And, th- and he, so he's freaked out, and he runs away, and he's trying to figure out now what to do. And then he goes under this tree and says, I'm basically ready to die because God has abandoned me. There's no one who cares. There's no one who listens. I have no point and worth in my whole entire life. But then something interesting happens. He falls asleep under this bush. And all at once, an angel touched him. So people usually say, and when I watch for my own life of depression, when I struggle with any kind of thoughts like this, I find that instead of going closer to people, what do you find? You start to go farther away. When I have pastors and pastors suffer depression just as many, probably higher numbers than anyone else, when we look around and our friends in our districts and they stop going to circuit meetings, they stop going to conferences, it's a big red flag to say something is wrong here. If you see someone in your life that's getting more and more isolated, it's going away and away. It's usually when someone is depressed, they're not like, you know what, I could use a cuddle time here. Instead, they become more and more isolated. So God, understanding this, sends his angel, and I think this is kind of anecdotal in a sense, but we're just looking at the story. He sends the angel, and the angel makes contact with Elijah and says, here, I got something to tell you. Get up and eat. Now, this sounds like, really? When you're depressed, the last thing you want to do is eat, and the last thing you want to eat is good food. You're so depressed that all you're trying to do is like order in. And if you go to your friend's house and they've got like McDonald's lined up, you might go, something's not right for someone who likes to cook. Something's not right where you just like eat candy bars or just about anything. And I can say from my own life that there's a direct correlation for what I put in my body 
and how I feel mentally, mentally. And so, I, again, this is just in the story. This is not God saying, here's, this, here's the cure. We're just following through. You see this unique advice that God even uses. And God apparently Googled it, and he figured this stuff out. So, so he touched him. There's this contact, and then he gets up and he eats. He looks around, he has this bread, and nothing is better than warm bread. If I, He ate and drank, and he lay down again. And again, this is very simple stuff. Like, what do you read when you say, okay, I'm suffering depression? They'd ask you three questions. Are you eating well? Are you making contact with your friends? Are you isolating yourself? And are you getting sleep? And the correlation, again, between lack of sleep and insomnia and all these things that, that brings you into a pit deeper and deeper and deeper, or you just sleep the day away, right? These are two, two things that fight. So if you have someone in your life that is sleeping the day away, uh, we had a friend that came, and they were going to live with us for a week, and they're like, hey, I'm going to help you out with some projects. They did not get out of bed until noon. And of course, you know what time I get up. And at noon, I'm like getting ready for bed, right? Like, I, I, I can't wait to go to the old folks' home when they eat at 4 p.m. I'm like, exactly, finally someone figured this out. Um, so I go to bed at like 8.30, and then I get up at 4, and my friend did not get up till noon. And so, like, I'm kind of a get-her-done kind of guy, so, like, you can imagine, like, blood boiling. Now that I look back, I'm like, I'm a jerk. You know what my friend needed is care. My friend needed someone to listen. My friend, I think very clearly was suffering and, and their life was not great with their job and instead I'm being a jerk saying like, hey, let's get up when I should have been a real friend. And if you have someone in your life that is struggling to get out of bed and there's the things that they used to love, right? They used to love to go on walks. They used to love to go on, uh, watch movies. They used to love to go to the mall. And, and when they stop doing these things, they just don't have the energy to do it. You're saying, okay, this is a red flag for me. They might not even realize it. The angel came back, sorry, Angel came back a second time, touched him, and said, get up and eat, for the journey is too much for you. So he got up, he ate and drank, strengthened by that food, and he traveled for 40 days. Now, again, I'm stretching this one a little bit, but there is something said about the chemicals released when you go on uh, a walk, and you function. And so this is, again, my own life, and you might function differently. I have to do something active like six days a week, otherwise I start to like, get the jitters, right? This is not a healthy thing for me. And if you'd say, someone who's suffering depression, my guess is they're not exercising, they're not eating well, they're not sleeping well, and then, I think I missed one fourth, and they're not having contact with people. Would you agree? All right, these are all just the physical things. You can Google this stuff and you can figure this out. And you can say, okay, I've got to fix this in my life. The problem is, again, when someone's depressed, they don't really do much. And so you could give them all the advice, you could print out all the articles, you can show up at their door and say, this is all you have to do, and you'll feel a lot better about yourself. And then they go, that's great. And you can show up the next week, and where do you think those pamphlets are going to be? Probably the exact same spot, except they're going to feel guilty because they didn't bother to read them, and they forgot to put them in the garbage before you showed up. God has a different plan because we're physical human beings. This is just the physical aspect, but notice what happens in the life of Elijah. So until he reached Horeb, there he went into a cave and he spent the night. He replied, who is he talking to? He's talking to God. And when you're in your lowest point from a spiritual aspect, if I give you a to-do list, and we're going to get to what God has done in a second, uh, not only taking care of yourself physically, but in a spiritual aspect, God is saying, I want you to talk to me. 
And you notice all these guys in the Bible. Why do you think God records in the Bible guys like Jonah and David and Jeremiah and, all the, and Paul and all these guys and David expressing out, out loud, God, what is going on in my life? Can't you just fix it? I think God puts it in there because every single one of us has these same thoughts and we're almost afraid to bring them to God, but God says, I want to hear your deepest concerns. So he replied, I have been very zealous. God, here's my deal. I've been zealous for the Lord. I've done what you've asked. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars and put your prophets to death with the sword. I'm the only one left and now they're trying to kill me. And I think that you see this same model not only does he talk to God, but he listens to God. And the Lord said, I Go and stand by the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. And you see how it passes by, right? There's an earthquake, and there's this mighty wind, and then there's this fire, but how does God really show up? I wish in our life a lot of times you could just snap your fingers and your depressive thoughts would be gone. And I think we could pray to God, God, I, this is where I'm at. I'm really struggling, and this person I love, can't you just fix it? Like, you can make the world in six days. You can't just, like, fix my life in 15 minutes. Like, let's just work this out. But instead, God often comes in a whisper. Just in his word, when you open it up, you see God come in a whisper in the sense in baptism, right? That's how he works. It's always these very silent almost. And, and you open the God's word, and you open one spot, and it says, I am your rock and your salvation. You open another place and God doesn't appear before your door and there's all these fires. Instead, God just says, is the arm of the Lord too short to save? You go to another place and God says, come to me, you who are weary and burdened, and I'll give you rest. That is not a huge announcement. That's the mighty God speaking directly to your heart to say, there's something I want to tell you when you come to me. And it's a promise. So we've got all these guys suffering, right? Um, God speaking to you, you speaking to God, but there's one other thing, and I think, why would God mention this? I've reserved 7,000 people in Israel whose knees have not bowed. God's simply saying to Elijah, you, you know what, I know you're not in a good place, but you're not alone. And I think the secular world kind of figured out that life kind of change for a positive happens in community better than we kind of have figured it out. Like Weight Watchers, uh, AA. You ever join an online thing? If you join some diet club or something, they say join our, like our Facebook group. Why do they do that? Why, why do people bother to do that? They do that because they know when there's people around that you're doing the same thing, the same kind of struggle. So I'm part of a gym and it's a CrossFit gym, so you can now roll your eyes. I just won't look. Okay, it's a CrossFit gym, but one of the things they do extremely well is community. And one of the things that they do is every day they post who did the workout and what time they did. And for competitive guys that are jerks like me, I just try and see if I beat people. But for caring people like my wife, they just want to see who was there. And at the end of the day, just imagine like you go and we say, um, go read your Bible. And you go, okay, I read my Bible and I, and I read it today. What happens if we had a post that showed like every single other person in the congregation that's reading the same thing? Why do we make such a big deal about these community groups and we say, hey, go to one of our grow groups and, and I know it's a pain. It really is. It's like softball on some level and, and my softball rule is this. Every Monday comes for softball and I tell my softball friends this. I wish there was a rain out. But you know what the problem is? This is not Washington. It, it like rains out twice a year. So every Monday, I play with Lyle back there and I you know, play with other guys and every Monday I think, gosh, 
I hope it's a rain out because I do not want to go to softball. I do not want to go. I don't want to go. I'm checking the weather. The guys are like, hey, you think it's a rain because I'm coming to come down? And I'm like, I hope it's a rain out. I never said that back. But then when I get there and I get around the guys and I play softball and hang out after the game, every time I'm like, that was pretty fun. That was good. And then I immediately forget it. And then the next Monday comes, I go, I hope it's a rain out. I'm guessing unless you're more sanctified than I am, when Wednesday rolls around and it's your day to go to grow group and you just got back from work and you're tired and you're just so, you don't even know what to do and you said, hey, you're going to go to grow group and you're looking at your spouse and you're hoping your spouse is stronger than you are because you can't have them go like, you know, like this is how, you're just watching real close, body language and you're just hoping your spouse doesn't want to quit the same day you do and they go, yeah, we should go and you're like, yeah, of course, of course we should go. But you still probably don't want to go but then you get there, and what do you find? You find a community. Not 7,000, you might be find seven that pray for you, that pray with you, that open God's word to say, God, what do you have to say in our life? And you have this community of people that didn't feel like quitting on the same day. And then you go home, and you probably immediately forget it. And the next Wednesday rolls around, and you've got to look to each other and encourage each other. Why is this such a big deal? Last, last thing, we have this list of people. David and Jonah and Job and Jeremiah and Elijah. The last one, and I think the biggest thing, and we'll make this quick. Uh, My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. He said to them, stay here and keep watch. Going a little further, farther, he fell to the ground and prayed that if possible, the hour might pass from him. Abba, Father, he says. Everything is possible for you, right? The same prayer that we have. God, you can do anything Take this cup from me, yet not what I will, but your will. Does God take that cup from him? Not too much later, he says this, a last line, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Did you know that in all the time that God speaks to his father, this is the only time he doesn't say father? Why? Because the bond is broken. He's suffering hell. He's totally abandoned. Everything he desires to be filled up with, emotionally empty and physically empty and spiritually suffering hell, why on your behalf? And he comes to you in a whisper and he makes a promise. I came to not break that broken reed, right? Just like I told the kids, I came not to snuff out that flickering wick, but I want to grow that and help that and be here for you. Jesus said, I came to change you I came to forgive you, and my own self-worth and my own self-comfort uh, is not worth you. And so I know you're in the pit, and you're looking up, and you're like, I feel so alone, but what does Jesus say to you? He says, you are forgiven. You're loved. My word never changes. Next week, Easter is still a reality. Next week, the Bible is still true, and God says, I love you. You're forgiven. Let's walk out of this pit together going to take a while, right? I don't expect if you're struggling with depression, you're going to leave and go, well, I did it. But no, you got a family of believers that loves you and is praying for you, and you got a God who listens to your cries, speaks to you through his word, and wants to walk with you to a place that's brighter. Amen. Uh, Heavenly Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we struggle so often with all the things that happen in our life. We pray that during this time, if any of us are suffering from depressive thoughts, uh, we can come around uh, and find help with the people around us, a community of people. Sometimes that help is in doctors. Sometimes that help is in our friends. Help us to not give up on you.
and to pray out all the things that we're struggling with and to hear from your word the promises that you say again and again. It's, we know it's a process. We know it's hard, uh, but we pray that we can not just waste this time of suffering, but instead that this is going to be the white walk that we do to get closer and closer to you and closer and closer to your promises. We ask this in your name. Amen.